It's great to see you. I want to welcome you. I wish that we could greet each other in a different way. But for now, as we greet each other from a distance, we want to say that it is a privilege to be in the house of the Lord and to bring praise to his name, right? And uh, thank the worship team for leading us to the throne of grace. And I, I will share with you that in my life, I have had the privilege of experiencing things that were above my station. And uh, one of those several years ago, uh, a wonderful friend invited my father and I to go to the induction ceremony into the college, uh, the Ohio State Hall of Fame to a, a wonderful coach that that had, had a testimony for the Lord. And we were invited to not just go to this banquet, but to sit at the head table with the family. And, and so the funny thing about it is we're there, my dad and I, we had a wonderful time. We're seeing people who, uh, when we bought tickets to football games, we'd be the ones like behind the pole, furthest in the back, you know, and you kind of hear what was going on. You know, that's, that's our station, really. And, and here we have this front row seat, really at the table of honor. And the, the funny thing about it is that, is that people would introduce themselves to us and they were people who we knew by name because they're famous or they have an influential position or they coached in a place and, and they'd ask us basically like, who are you, you know? And, and the reality was the only answer I had back to that was to be able to say it's because we were invited, you know? Like, like we could always point back to the person who invited us. Oh, we're guests of, we, we were invited and this morning, I want to challenge you. I want us to all wrestle with what it means for us to have the power in our lives of invitation. Join us. Those two words can be some of the most powerful words in the English language. Join me. Come with me. I want to invite you to join. Have you heard this statistic? It was done by Lifeway Publishers a couple years back. I've shared it before. But they say that of the individuals that are unchurched, that 82% of them have said that if they were invited directly by someone to join them at a church service, now this was before all COVID-19 stuff, but 82% of them said if they were invited to come to church, they'd go with somebody. 82%. Now, some of you look at me and you're like, yeah, the, I, my friends must all be in the 18%, right? Uh, but, but there's a sincerity to this that says, like, I found something that's precious to me. And I want to invite you to join me in it. In the passage that we're going to study together today, oh, this is the sad statistic. Only 2% of people invite others to join them at church, according to that survey. So 82% say that they're willing. 2% are really willing to embrace the awkward and to invite people. Uh, did I just call myself awkward? Maybe just a little bit. But you understand what we're saying, right? There's a challenge that's associated with it. And this morning, the, the title of the sermon is Invited. It's a great word, isn't it? When you're invited by someone to join them, that it can be really significant and special. And what we're going to see in God's word as we pick back up in Acts chapter 10 and move into Acts chapter 11, we're going to see examples of individuals who invited others into their world. We're going to see Peter be a person who chooses to invite Cornelius into a place where Cornelius is literally going to see his family come to Christ. There's going to be radical change that takes place. And, and what we get to see on the, the larger scale is the gospel is now being spread to Gentiles, that, that the gospel is being received by those around the world who previously could have only known this love of God through the work of the Jews. And now they get to experience this hands-on personal love of Christ. And it's going to come through a personal invitation. If you have your Bibles 
I want to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 23. Last week, we saw the story. There was a, a dream that Cornelius had, and he, remember, he's a general, and he sends one of his, some of his men to go pursue Peter, and Peter is at the beach, actually. Peter's in, um, on the coast, and he's in a place that's probably pretty now comfortable for him. He's with Simon the Tanner, where he kind of let go his original concerns about being with this man, and now... God is going to use him in a mighty way. If you have your Bibles, we'll pick back up in verse 23, where we see these words, join me, and how they function as some of the most powerful words that we could possibly use. Verse 23. So Peter invited them in to be his guest. These are, this is the group of people that were coming to collect him, to take him back to Cornelius. The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers, in other words, other believers from Joppa, accompanied him. So this is Peter, we'll learn later, plus six. So there's a group of seven of them. Interestingly, this would have been the legal number that was needed to testify to a case. And so here, he, he, I think Peter's assuming something big is going to happen, and God is ready for something really big to happen um, on Cornelius and his family's behalf. In verse 24, it says, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends. This, this is baited anticipation. Later in Acts chapter 11, 13, we, we see the, these words that, that he was told or, that send a Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. And then verse 14, it says, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. So God gave him this hint. This is what's coming. Salvation is on the horizon. And what Cornelius did with that information is that he chose to reach out to everybody around him. It says his friends, it says his family. Now, my guess is for some of them, this would have been a hard ask. This would have been challenging for them, that he was asking them to get out of their comfort zone, to associate with people that were different from them. I'm guessing if his kids were anything like my kids, there's probably a moment like, what is going on here, dad? What are you doing? Like, what, what's going to happen here? And what happens is something phenomenal. It says, um, they, it says that, uh, so he brings them in, and, and what we see here is that, is that now the gospel is going to be presented to them in a beautiful way. And Cornelius knew it was going to come. Peter realized it. And, and a question for each one of us this morning is, is, do we really truly act as if we believe that this gospel that we've had access to is truly a gospel for all people? Are we, are we intentionally living in such a way that we, we share it readily? Are we a person who believes that maybe it's not for everyone in front of us? The gospel, I believe, the first point this morning, is God's invitation to peace for a conflicted world. The gospel is God's invitation to peace for a conflicted world. This, this join me, the seeker Cornelius is going to be someone who's invited his friends and family because he just believes that something's going to happen. And he might have risked alienating, alienating his friends, his family, but he felt this message was way too important to ignore. The text has this little kind of curveball here in verse 25 that's kind of interesting. It says, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him. Remember, he'd been told that there was going to be a message of salvation for him. And Cornelius meets him, he falls down at his feet, and he worships Peter. 
Now, you look at the picture in the background here, that this is a picture of Peter's Basilica in Rome. And if you ever get a chance to go there, that foot that this man is touching has been worn away because people have been pilgrims to go to this place and they, they, they get there and, and in some ways they're worshiping Peter. Well, I'll just tell you, if Peter were alive today, he wouldn't have had, he wouldn't allow this to happen. In fact, he didn't allow this to happen in front of him. When this man stands up or gets on his knees and, and remember, this is a general used to having people take his orders. He gets down on his hands and knees and he worships, the text says, Peter. But verse 26, Peter says, Peter lifts him up saying, stand up, I too I'm a man. In other words, Cornelius was confused. He confused the messenger with the message, right? And what, he, what, what Peter does is, oh no, that, that's not me. Uh, ironically or tragically, just a few chapters later in the, in the book of Acts chapter 12, there's a man named Herod who we're, we're given this glimpse of people declaring that he, his words are like the words of God. And, and instead of Herod disowning it, like what Peter does here, he receives it. And we're told in God's word that he was struck dead because of it. And literally, it says that he became food for worms, that he, he misunderstood what it means to be, not be a God. And Peter understood exactly what it meant, that he was humbled. Uh, he was humbled enough. Now, now, Peter, this man who God's going to uniquely use, understands his place. In verse 27, it says, so he talks with him. He went in and he found many persons gathered. Can you imagine this audience? They're so excited to receive the message. Verse 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. If you read that carefully, he's saying, you guys are unclean. That's kind of an awkward introduction, isn't it? He walks in and his first words were, it's unclean for me to be here. Uh, that doesn't, you know, that's not exactly the win friends and influence people introduction, right? But what happens then is Peter clarifies and he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Last week and the last two weeks, we've talked about these food laws that were established. And remember, Peter experienced this amazing moment through a vision where there's a, a curtain that falls and there's all these different food items. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Arise, Peter, and eat. And, and for some, they've misunderstood this as being about food. But, but here, what Peter understood and what we finally see in the text is that Peter understood this was way more than about food. This was about the gospel being granted for all peoples. And that's awesome news. It's incredible news. What we see here is that he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's incredible. You know, I believe that God wants you and I to be inviters of peace. There's two characteristics that I think good inviters do. One of them is that they understand, they believe that the gospel is necessary. In the book of Romans chapter 10, 14, these words are powerful. They're convicting to me. They say this, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him, him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? This, this time period was one where they desperately needed the hope of the gospel. They needed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it says in verse 29, so when I was sent for, I came without objection I asked then why you sent for me, and Cornelius said four days ago, about this hour, 
I was praying at my house at the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Now, this is a picture of Joppa. It was a, a beautiful place. I visited that um, that that place today, and it's still to this day, it's just this beautiful seaside place. And Peter was in the home of Simon the Tanner, which we agreed would be awkward for him. But remember, he was a man that was used to the sea. He was a fisherman. And I can just imagine for a moment that this was a very comfortable place for him. But But Peter received this call. He answers it, and he is going to leave what was, what was comfortable for him. And I like the way that Cornelius responded to it. It's really a, a great sentence, verse 33. So I sent for you at once. In other words, I obeyed God's call. I, I'm pursuing, I'm seeking God right now. And you have been kind enough to come. Church, I want to challenge you for a second to think about the ministry of presence it's something that, that has gotten lost recently. The, the ministry of being present with someone, it's been difficult. We've had to work really hard at it. I can show you pictures of people that I love that have, have had a, a panel of glass between them and a family member that's in a nursing home or can think of, so you, you do it, we all do it, right? We drive down our neighborhoods and we'll see families who are social distancing, but they're still hanging out together. They're, they're present I was a, a teaching a class a couple of years ago that, with the title, Building Healthy Relationships. And a woman in the class uh, really taught me a powerful lesson there. She was on vacation. They had this amazing vacation with her family. She has a larger family. And um, she had been invited to come to a special birthday celebration for one of her friends. And she, instead of traveling home with her family, she got on a plane. She flew back early so that she could attend their, this birthday celebration for her friend. And, and when I heard this, there was, there's a moment for me where I was just convicted because she, what she did was she recognized that this invitation was precious and it was so valuable that it required being honored. Uh, she actually attended the first service this morning. And as I was telling the story, it was so fun to see her here. And and she said, Sean, you know, that moment, I, I, you knew that I came back early and that's why I was at class that, that Sunday. But, but that woman went to be with the Lord just a few months later. And she said, I'm so glad that I've made that effort to communicate something about the value of presence. And there really is an incredible value in our presence. And here, what, what Cornelius notices, you've been kind enough to come. You, you care enough about me. I, I think about that truth, and, and it goes on to say, now therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Can you imagine a better audience? They're baited in, no offense to you guys, but there's a, they're baited anticipation. What do you have to say? And I, and I think it's important for us to accept, however, that just because you're present, even in the church context, it doesn't mean that you've received the message. Just because you're hearing it doesn't mean that you've received it. And here, Cornelius, uh, Peter's going to say, Cornelius was all in, right? He's, he's ready. What do you got for me? Let's go. And he's got family members and friends. They're like, why are we here? And then there's others that were messengers and servants, and they're all going to hear this message. And, and it's incredible. The message is going to change everything. But the, the reason they're there might be different, but the message stays the same. Verse 34, so Peter opens his mouth. That's code in scripture for this is going to be really important. So Peter opens his mouth and he says, truly, 
I understand that God shows no partiality. In other words, remember it took multiple times for Peter to get this message, but he finally accepts it. But in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, there's two things that this could look like. This could look like universal salvation for all people. It could also look like uh, Cornelius is earning his salvation somehow. But it's important to understand in Greek, this word that's used to reference acceptable is, is a word that we understand as welcome. God, God loves everybody. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This does not refer to legal justification before God. Then Peter's gonna go on to share this message that proves that God deals with all people regardless of their race or their ethnicity. And, and it's important, I, I just say this, anytime Christians function in a way that, is, that has any hint of racial discrimination, they, they really should reread Acts chapter 10. Because what, what's happening here is this, this this radical breaking down of these walls that were so common. We have to be honest with ourselves that discrimination is common and discrimination can come for another number of reasons. I think in Northeast Ohio, we know one of them it involves some of the sport teams that are in our region. I, I love this story. When I was a youth pastor in Southern California, um, a father of one of my students took me out or invited me to come to his country club to go golfing. Now, I, I confess I'm not a great golfer, and after the first hole, he said, Sean, this is going to be really hard for me. And I thought it was a commentary about my golf game, but it wasn't. What, what he was de- there to do was he said he was there to um, share a story. Of, you know, we're, we're catching up, but it was going to be hard for him because basically I'm from Ohio and he happened to be from Michigan. Right? So we learned this. This is going to be hard for me. And then by the time we got to the 18th hole, he said, I, I really got to tell you this story. And, and he says that basically he's, he's a, involved in a, a le- as a leader of a Christian organization out there. And he had two candidates that he had interviewed for a really high-level position in this, in this ministry. And he said one was not from Ohio and one was from Ohio. And he said that he said the one guy from Ohio, his resume was better than the other guy, but he chose not to hire him just because of the fact that he was from Ohio, right? Now, some of you are looking at me like, there's no way that would ever happen. And others of you are like, oh yeah, totally would happen, right? If I start talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers or we start talking about our team... And, and, and basically, it was like, it was like I, I'm experiencing this as a pastor sometimes, where it was like he was there to confess, right? He just wanted to confess to the pastor, right? Like, I screwed up, is basically what he said. And I couldn't help but think, you know, we have these small reasons why we choose to prejudice against ourselves against someone else. There's a, a way more serious story of, um, some of you may know that Osama bin Laden, you know the name, most of you, that Osama bin Laden had spent time in America as a student before some of the chaos that would take place that we'd know him for. And I can't help but think of the fact that there may have been someone in that school that he attended that was a believer. We, we have to assume that there are people that he came encounter with that knew the gospel, that knew the story of hope and, and what could have radically impacted his life. Uh, but instead, maybe just maybe, there was a, an ounce of saying, <laughs> the, the, that, that's not for him. That's, that's my story. That's not, not a message. You understand how we can just choose to do that? I think, I think we can actually do that with our friends, with our neighbors. I think we can actually do that with our family members. And, and this is so key. I think what we do when we do that is we're putting a prerequisite. You guys know the word prerequisite, right? You think of college. I still wake up in a cold sweat 
um, thinking about like graduation and, and have I not taken the prerequisites I need to graduate? I've like been graduated for 15 years or whatever. But, but it's that thing you know, you have to do this before you can receive this, right? And, and, and we put a prerequisite on the gospel. Does the, is the person kind? Does the person feel like a Christian? Do they look like, do they dress like a Christian? Do they function without sin in the way that, no, there's not prerequisites that are established for the gospel and unfortunately, sometimes that's been allowed to creep in into the church. And what we see back in verse 36 is that it says this, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That's incredible news there. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the, the baptism that John proclaimed, this is John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. It's beautiful that here we get to see all three members of the Trinity, one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And they were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Uh, we've talked about this before, but that's a euphemism because the, the cross was so violent that it's a description of the cross without having to say the cross. Verse 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him, made him to appear not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So encouraging for me to think about the fact that what Peter's sharing is his own story. Peter got to touch Christ. Peter, remember, abandoned Christ. Peter had his own versions of his encounter with Christ. And what he's saying to Cornelius is, you can have your own story too. You can have your own encounter with the living God. And I, I have to, to guess that for some of us in this room, like I came to Christ at a really young age. I'm so grateful my parents shared the gospel with me when I was just a boy. But for some of you, you've come to Christ later. And when you share your story with me or we talk about it, you share, you share it with a bit of, of, of shame or sadness. Or I just want to celebrate the fact that just because that is a part of your story later, even today, that it doesn't make it any less of a valid story. Peter had his own story. Cornelius was going to have his own version of that story that's going to come through the work of the gospel. In verse 42, it says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. In other words, what Peter is saying is, this is God's work. God's going to be the judge. I'm not going to be the one to prejudge if a person is worthy of the gospel or not. Can, can we be honest that that's a temptation for us sometimes? Can we be honest that it's a temptation for us to pre-predict if a person is going to receive or accept the truth of the gospel? I, I think it's essential for us to catch that, that there's no place for that. We don't get to be the judge of the living and the dead. That's his job. Verse 43, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The gospel, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is essential. I think sometimes we try to get ourselves off the hook when we hear stories of individuals who've seen dreams that involve Jesus. And I've been in context where that has happened and it's, in, it's incredible. 
But so often what has happened is that there's still the necessity of a person to come and to speak the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you who's in that vision. Let me introduce you to the one who wants to save you from sin and death, who wants to be your hope of peace. I just think it's so incredible to understand that that's the privilege that we get to encounter. We get to be a part of and we get to do this in Jesus' name. I love this truth. I love the, the power of it. And, and people who are inviters, they really believe that the gospel is essential. Another thing that people who are inviters do is they believe that the gospel is truly for everyone. They believe that the gospel is not only necessary, but, but the way the statement is going to come out of the text, if God doesn't show partiality, why should we, right? Like this is, this is our privilege. So, so what we know that Peter understood this lesson. Don't call unclean what I've called clean. The Lord has said this. And, and here, <laughs> what we have the tendency or potential to do is lump people together, together in a category that says, yeah, that's just not, not for them. I, I love that God is going to choose to advance the gospel to all people through Cornelius, through the, this movement of God that's going to see the gospel spread to those around the world. It's beautiful to see this. And here, what God's going to do is he's going to lavishly give the Holy Spirit to all believers. Filling of the Spirit is going to be given to both Jews and Gentiles. And, and it's going to validate the authenticity of the gospel that's been established in their lives. Verse 44 says this, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. You could even hear it in their description. It happened. This is incredible. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And they commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is a great moment in history. I want to speak to, to a moment. We actually were planning on having a baptism service here. I think we'd even set up the baptismal on the Sunday, or right around the Sunday that we ended up not being able to meet. And then we were going to do it over the Easter Sunday, and, uh, and that didn't work out. And we're so excited to announce that just a couple of weeks from now, next month, we're going to be doing a baptism service outside. Um, for those who are nervous, we're going to put lots of chlorine in the baptismal, and uh, we're going to celebrate. And there's this moment, like, this has been a convicting passage of scripture for me, and that is we have people that are here that have experienced all the pain that we've all gone through, that have finally said, you know what? I'm ready to go public with my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm ready to make a public profession of my faith through baptism. And here, what Peter is saying is, he's like, how can we get in the way of this? How can we stop them? This is a movement of God. Let's, let's let this happen. And so can we withhold water from baptizing these people? No. And they commanded them, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked and they wrote him to remain for some days. Can you just imagine how excited of a moment this was? So, some have misunderstood this baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ to be something distinct from being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's so essential for us to understand that this is one singular name. This is in the name of God, and this is not a distinct baptism, but this is the fullness of the baptism into the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, something that is kind of ugly when we look at what happens next is that 
there's an ugly moment in history here where where some people are actually going to stand in the way of the gospel. They're going to try to stand in the way of it. And it's incredible. Uh, One of the things that I have to admit is that we have to be people who get out of the way of the gospel sometimes. It's easy potentially for us to allow our prejudice to prejudge a person's potential to receive the gospel and even to get in the way of it. When I've shared this story before, but when I was doing jail ministry in the, in the um, Xenia, Ohio area, there was a story there of a man who I just shared with my roommate uh, one Sunday morning. I'm so excited. This man that I've been working with, I believe that today is going to be the day that he prays to accept Christ. He's so close and he's had these incredible questions about the gospel and I'm super excited. I think today is going to be the day. And, and I went in, and, and in the, the first moments that I walked in to talk to him, he asked me, like, what's the, what translation are you reading out of? And I shared with him the Bible that I had. And he said, well, there were these people that came in this week on Wednesday night, and they said, if anybody comes in with this translation, not this translation, that you need to ignore them. Or, uh, and, and then what I ended up having to do, thankfully I was a student of Greek at the time and had to go through with this man and it took several weeks, almost months to just talk through the, the translations and the solidity of God's word and how we understand the truth of God's word and, and praise the Lord, he ultimately came to accept Christ. But if I could meet those people who did that that day, if I could meet those people who scheduled that time to, to meet with this young man who wasn't even a believer yet, and, and who muddied the water, like, I would say to them, I'm afraid that you almost got in the way of the gospel. In fact, what we see in the text is, is an example of this, that there's going to be believers that hear what happened, and they're not going to interpret what happened to the Gentiles as a positive thing, but actually they're going to interpret it through their bias and through their misunderstanding of Scripture as being a very negative thing. And what they're going to do is they're going to misunderstand the fact that the gospel is available for all. You'll recognize this picture of Mahatma Gandhi. A a tragic story um, is shared in his personal autobiography that he says that in his student days in England, he was deeply touched by reading the gospels. He was reading scripture and he seriously considered becoming a convert to Christianity, which seemed to offer to him a very real solution to the caste system that had divided the people of India. One Sunday, he attended church services, and he decided to ask the minister after the services for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines. But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. He left. He never came back. In his own words, if Christians have a caste differences, he said to himself, I might as well remain a Hindu. It's a story that is tragic to read because here there was a time in history when people unfortunately stood in the way of the gospel. In chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now the apostles and the brothers who are throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So this message is spreading. And again, we know it to be really good news. You and I, those of us who are Gentiles in the room that would have been considered Gentiles, like the gospel is now made available to all people. It's amazing. But verse two says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, these are believers that believed that you needed to go through certain prerequisites in order to accept the gospel. They criticized Peter saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. So, so here, here they, they accuse him of doing something wrong. 
They're hesitant to accept that this is a free gift for all, that the good news to them had actually become bad news to them, that this bad news was that God was working in this way. And it's so important for us to accept God does not make a prerequisite for the gospel. And so why in the world should we So Peter's defense was, God made me do it. (laughs) It's literally what he says here. Verse 12, and the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved and you and all of your household. Now, now at this moment, I just want to catch this before we get to the end. Like, you'd think these guys would just stick to their guns. They're, they're, this is a new message. They're frustrated. But what's so encouraging, if we stay through to the end, is that we're actually going to see that their initial perspective was no way. But at the end of this text, we're going to see that they actually come to a new conclusion. They, they actually listen. They, they change their minds. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us from the beginning, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Church, we have to ask ourselves the question, who are we to get in the way of what God wants to do? Who am I to stand in the way of a person receiving the hope of the gospel? So Peter really shut them up. They They say this in verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know what's great about this? I love this. Even the worst kind of thinking can be changed. Isn't that awesome? They came into this with a certain mindset that could never believe that this could be what God was going to do. But then at the end of this, it appears that they've made a shift. They've changed their mind. They've understood the incredible gift that God was giving to all people. And and church, by way of application, I want to ask you three things. I want you to think about these three things. The first is, is just remember that there is an incredible power in the process of invitation. There's incredible power that, that happens when we understand what it means to ask someone to join us. At our church, we put together some signs that say, join us, and I wanna invite you. Some of you, like me, have had one in your yard. The signs broke over time, or you've taken it out, and, and I'm gonna encourage you to put them back up. I'm gonna encourage you to take one at the end of the day, and I'm gonna encourage you to consider inviting your neighbors to join us, to understand that there's an incredible power in the process of invitation. A personal question on reflect, that, that's helpful for reflection is to ask yourself the question, are you in any way getting in the way of the gospel? Are, are you representing the love of Christ well? Are you embodying what it looks like to, have, to, to know the peace of Christ in your life right now? Are, are you showing others that you understand what it means to have a Prince of Peace, an everlasting Father, to have salvation in the Lord? Are you modeling that? The next question is, does your life show that you believe that the gospel is necessary? That's what we said about people who invite. They understand the gospel is necessary. And the last thing, I invite the worship team to come forward as we close out. And that is, does your life show that you believe that all people are worthy of the gospel? Father God, we love you and we thank you and praise you for your word. And just thank you for the the fact that you're, 
invitation to us is so crystal clear in your word that you sent your son to seek and to save that which was lost. And in this morning, as we've seen the, the power of invitation, the power of, of submitting to your will and to being a part of what you're doing to bring yourself glory and honor, Lord, I pray for each one of us that we, we would never be people who could get in the way of the gospel, that we would never be opposed to what you want to do, whether it's for that family member that we feel is too far gone, or maybe it's even ourselves. For, for some of us in this room, maybe we've looked at our own story and, and we've, we felt like there's just no way that God's grace would be sufficient for me. And I just want to pray right now for that person that feels that way, that feels so far gone that, that the Lord would never want to experience that relationship with them. Lord, I pray that you would set that aside and that, that even on this day that they would experience the peace that surpasses their circumstances, that they would experience the joy of the Lord. And I pray together as a church family that we would be ambassadors for peace, that we would draw others in, this, this image of a lighthouse, that we would draw others in in the midst of this great storm, that they would experience only the peace that can be given by a God who loves them. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.